The following podcast contains swear words, swear words mostly uttered by my co-host, Jonathan Weiler. Shame on you, Jonathan. Hey, Matt, how's it going? Jonathan, it's going all right. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Uh, this is another episode of the Agony of Defeat podcast. I'm Jonathan Weiler. I'm a professor of global studies at UNC. I teach courses on sports and globalization, and I'm a lifelong sports follower. And I am Matt Andrews. I teach in the Department of History at UNC Chapel Hill. I, too, am a lifelong sports fan, uh, a San Francisco and Oakland sports fan, which is better than what the, the teams Jonathan grew up rooting for. <laughs> <laughs> Actually not, but that's all right. Well, yeah, right now, certainly in basketball. Uh, yeah, right. Jonathan is a New York sports fan. Yeah, it's been kind. Of, yeah, it's been tough for you guys recently. It's been, we've had some dry years. Had some dry years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Matt, we we haven't talked in a while in this in this forum. The last time we spoke was in August, after the Jacob Blake shooting and the responses of WNBA and NBA basketball players to that shooting. Geez, first of all, I can't believe it's been that long. You and I need to do better. Um, but, Agreed. And, and um, think about how much has changed since we last spoke, Jonathan, or or, or how much has happened since we last spoke. Maybe that's a better we, way of putting we, it's it. It's just, it's dizzying yeah. how much has happened. And this is just part of the world we live in now. The The news cycle is just, I know people use this term, it's just a fire hose of information. It's it's hard to keep one's head above water. Yeah, and we're, you know, we're talking about sports, and we'll talk about politics a little bit, but today will be a little less serious, I guess, than, than last time when we, when we spoke. So I'm looking forward to it. You ready to talk about some baseball? Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's not baseball season, but you can talk about baseball year-round, hot stove league, baby. So I guess that's what, what we're going to do today. Um, yeah, and, and, and the reason we originally wanted to have this conversation was just to, pl- to pay homage to the great Hank Aaron. Oh, yes. One of the all-time greats who passed away a week ago Friday at the age of 86. Right, January 22nd. January 22nd. And, uh, and Hank Aaron, for many years, I think 33 to be exact, was the all-time home run king. And as it's been pointed out, Matt, if you, I'm just going to throw out a quick stat here, and then we'll go back and talk about Aaron, the man and ball player, more generally. If you take away... All of Aaron's 755 home runs, which is now second all-time and an extraordinary extraordinary number of home runs, if you take all of them away, he still has over 3,000 hits in his career. Unbelievable. Jonathan, you want to hear my unbelievable stat? It's not mine. It's his. <laughs> but it's, yeah. it's the stat that I read. Yeah. yeah. Um, this one just boggles my mind the most. Hank Aaron is first in total bases. Right, it's six thousand eight hundred and fifty-six. Okay. Stan Musial is second with six thousand one hundred and thirty-four. As you know, the bases are ninety feet apart. That is a yep. distance of more than twelve miles. Hank Aaron has more than twelve miles more on the bases than any other player in Major League history. It, 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 
Yeah. It makes no sense. That's amazing. Bill James, the great uh, baseball writer, used to say about Aaron, this was, of course, before Barry Bonds broke his all-time home run record in 2007. Uh, Bill James used to say, nobody's going to catch Hank Aaron from behind, by which he meant if somebody doesn't reach the age of 30 with a huge lead on Aaron in home runs, Hmm. they're never going to catch him because his 30s were so unbelievably good. Right. Well, is, but but is that true with Bonds, whose 30s were, were Ruthian? Well, Bonds' 30s were incredible. And what I was about to say is, and I, I know we're going to talk about this, um, James said that before the onset of the steroid Got era, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, which I think very much did change performance of players in their 30s. Uh, but just, absolutely, yeah. You know, but, but Aaron was so great for 20 consecutive years yeah. that it's it, it would be hard to overstate this the consistency uh, of his greatness well and we're going to talk a little bit about, about the recent hall of fame voting as well it's it, it, it's all baseball today which i know is terribly unfashionable in the world <laughs> in the sports media these days but you and i love the game jonathan can i start with a quick hank aaron story i, I, please, I please. in um so in 1977 I was about eight or nine years old. Don't know when in the year it happened. My dad took me to an Oakland A's game at the Oakland Coliseum. And the A's were playing the Milwaukee Brewers. And my dad actually had a, had a friend on that team, a high school friend, a relief pitcher named Danny Frisella, who um, actually died a year later in a dune buggy accident of, of, of wow. all things. I know. Um, but so we, we, we got there early and, and um, there weren't that many people there actually. And we were kind of milling around on the right field line. And my dad saw Danny Frisella and called him over and they were chatting. And I'm talking to Danny Frisella. I'm talking to a big league ball player. You know, I'm so excited. And all of a sudden, Danny Frisella turns around and says, hey, Hank, come on over here. Oh, man. And as you know, Hank Aaron was on the Brewers the last two, two uh-huh. years of his career. Uh-huh. Hank Aaron comes over, says a few things, shakes my hand. Danny gets a ball. Hank Aaron signs me a ball, gives it to me, walks away. And Jonathan, I am barely exaggerating when I say it was as if I had met God. Mm -hmm. That is just how big Hank Aaron was. And I knew so little about Hank Aaron when I was nine years old, but I just thought of him as this you know, mythical, more than human figure. So, Matt, that's an awesome story. And it's just reminding me that the day he died, I just spent part of the day listening to reminiscences about him from, you know, sportscasters and former players. And a theme, Matt, of those stories was that it wasn't just nine-year-old you that was rendered speechless. Like, People who are very, very well-known, superstars in their own right, people like Harrison Ford, just to take one example, describe themselves as rendered speechless Hmm. in his presence. (laughs) That he was just such a soaring, legendary figure that they just didn't know what to say. So that, that was just a recurring feature of the stories I was listening to them. Well, and so that's what I've been trying to figure out and, and, and reading people are helping me figure out, figure it out. It, it's not just the baseball numbers, obviously. I mean, though they no, are right. Out, right. out of this world, 
you know, how would you describe him? What what was it about Hank Aaron? Yeah, he was incredibly consistent. Yeah, there was longevity, and so the numbers. You know, we're, we're obviously venturing into the into a, into a conversation about about race here. Um, yes. So as as you've been thinking about Hank Aaron and reading what people have been saying about Hank Aaron, I mean, what accounts for that stupor that that people get into when they make? Well, what is it about Aaron that just turned him into a god? Well, a, a couple of things come to mind. One is I was I was describing this to somebody the other day who was not really a baseball fan. It's not just that Aaron broke the all-time home run record that Babe Ruth had held for decades. And that number of home runs that Ruth hit, 714, anybody who was a sports fan back then knew that number. It was the number in sports, and, and, right? The number. Exactly. exactly. And Matt, this is what one of the things I wanted to say. We're not just talking about breaking a record. We're talking about, at this particular time, especially in American team sports, there was no other number right. that mattered to people the way this number did. Well, there still isn't, had, right? Had the same meaning. Yeah, right. There, there, there is no football number like that still. There is no basketball yeah, number exactly. like that. I mean, yeah. I suppose... I mean, right, you can say, okay, Will Chamberlain scored 100 yeah, points. 100. Like, but there's nothing, there was nothing like this number. So, so just that, the mythic nature of the record that he took aim at yeah. was by, and, and, and the person, Babe Ruth, arguably the most mythic figure yeah. in American sports. Yeah. Uh, so I, th- I think just what Aaron was aiming at was, I, I, I'm just, you know, I'm an ignoramus, so I don't know um, my Greek mythology, uh, but whoever it was that, climbed Mount Olympus to mm-hmm. interact with the gods. <laughs> you know, like, that's what we're talking about. Yeah, I, I hope you're not asking me the answer to that question. But yeah, I I know what <laughs> yeah. you're... But, but, but Jonathan, it's not like Harmon Killebrew hit 700 and, you know, 15 home runs to pass the babe. Um, yes, right. It, 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 that's right. It, it's clearly that it was a black yeah. man, yeah. and we can keep on going, right? In, in, yes. in the... Yeah early 1970s yes um, and i i think it, it it matters that it was in atlanta when he did it I, I, absolutely right so so there's the assault on this absolutely mythic american sports record to which there is no equal in terms of its place in the sporting imagination and never will be because i just think these conversations have changed right and the fact that it was the assault was made by, as you said, Matt, a black man. Yeah. And, and, I'm sorry, Jonathan. Go ahead. No, no, no. And, and, you know, Matt, I was actually, I was re-watching um, a few days ago, Vin Scully, the legendary baseball announcer who called the game that night, the right. Atlanta Braves, Aaron's team, was playing the Los Angeles Dodgers, for whom Scully was the announcer. And I just watched, you know, a four-minute clip of Aaron coming to bat, in the fourth inning, Scully's setting the scene. The home run is hit. The, there's pandemonium. Fans are running on the field. And Scully's trying to put this in historic context. And he's almost, I, I, I mean, I watched the game 
And I remember vividly watching the game when I was eight years old. Oh, really? You do, huh? I don't remember Absolute, it. Which we can talk, yeah, I, very vividly. Hmm. I was watching it live, and I was incredibly excited. And, you know, but what, I didn't remember what I'm about to say, which is that Scully's trying to put this in historical context, and he's almost like imploring the viewers to accept that, see, this shows that America has changed. Right. Because a black man can break this incredible record and be widely accepted. Scully is saying all this. Right. Like as the celebration, the, the game was interrupted for a couple of minutes. So there could be like an acknowledgement of what had happened. And Scully is imploring the viewers. And this is a massive television audience, by the way. Right. And actually I was watching with my girlfriend Yonat is not a baseball fan at all, and she made the observation. Wait a minute, we're not talking about you were watching with your girlfriend when you were eight years old. No, no, we're no. talking. Okay, <laughs> good, good clarification. Just making sure. Yeah, so we were watching this clip, and Yonat could not possibly care less about baseball <laughs> in general. And she said, "It's it sounds like he's trying to explain this to people who don't know baseball at all." And I said, "You know, probably what's happening is so many people were watching that night." that don't normally watch, hmm. that he did feel like he was, he wasn't just calling a baseball game. He was talking about something much bigger. So anyway, I just was, yeah. I was struck by the way he tried to talk about it that night. One ball and no strikes. Aaron waiting. The outfield deep and straight away. Fastball is a high drive in the deep left center field. Putner goes back to the fan city. Marvelous moment for baseball. What a marvelous moment for Atlanta and the state of Georgia. What a marvelous moment for the country and the world. A black man is getting a standing ovation in the Deep South for breaking a record of an all-time baseball idol. And it is a great moment for all of us, and particularly for Henry Aaron. Well, I, I, Vince Scully's partly right. Um, he's he's right in the sense that, you know, look, black ball players weren't allowed in Major League Baseball until 1947. And then uh, so Hank Aaron is, you know, he's kind of thought of as that uh, 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 desegregated generation 2.0, right? He, he makes his Major League debut in 1954. Um, very young ball player. So just the fact that he had been in the league long enough and had been able to amass that many home runs, that is sign of a change. I mean, right. Uh, and, and, and just worth noting that 1954, the year Hank Aaron uh, first played in the major leagues is also the year that Brown v. Board of Ed was decided, right? So, I mean, this is, as you're saying, Matt, this is an era itself of momentous significance in the racial history of our country. Yes. And so he's, you know, d demonstrating what someone can do if given a, a, a desegregated opportunity. I mean, look at me, um, right. you know, at, at the same time, you know, what was one of the biggest stories from that moment was just the, the hundreds of despicable letters that were sent, sent to, to, to Hank Aaron, you know, calling him, Every awful word that 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 you can imagine a black person might be called, threats to kill him, threats to kill his children. You know, the, and so the fact that he pressed on and he did this when he had to have get bodyguards for his children. 
you know, one, one thing I didn't know is that the uh, Atlanta newspapers, they had written his obituary that year as he got really? closer to the home run record. They, they wanted it ready to go because they thought there was just a, a real possibility that he'd be assassinated in the lead up to this. Um, and of course, and this is not the same thing as the two things I said, and, and I still find this unbelievably puzzling. Bowie Kuhn, the commissioner of Major League Baseball, was not there that night. He had a previous yeah. engagement. A pre- and do we know what that previous engagement was? No, I mean, I think he actually had something like a, you know, like a friar's dinner or somewhere. He had, he had been in Cincinnati a couple games before when, when the Braves were on the road uh, in case Aaron broke the record. But just the fact that the commissioner of baseball wasn't there. Uh, it's just yet another episode in the general tone deafness coming from the commissioner's office in that in that sport, um, that, which seems uh, all too par for the course. Yeah, and I, I think we we maybe talk about some of this, um, yeah. Jonathan. I, I was trying to think about the <coughs> the meaning of Hank Aaron and 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 the, the meaning to Hank Aaron to that city, Atlanta, which is positioning itself and advertising itself as the capital of the new South, yes. you know, the, the, the post segregation South, of course, it's where Dr. King's church had been uh, one of them, you know, Dr. King raised in that city. And so it, it, it obviously, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm sorry to interrupt yeah. you, but can you give a little actually context here? And if I'm sorry, if you were going in this direction, but the Braves were in Milwaukee and moved to Atlanta in 1966. Right. Uh, into the Deep South. Yeah. So, well, Hank Aaron keeps trying to, you know, he, he's from Mobile, Alabama. He uses baseball to get out of the Deep South. Um, he, he plays in the, in the Negro Leagues just for, a, you know, a cup of coffee, as they say, with the Indianapolis Clowns. And then he's signed by the Braves and they send him to the Deep South. They send him to Jacksonville, Florida for he's playing in the Sally League, right? The South Atlanta Atlantic League, where he he leads the league in in everything, including service refused at restaurants and hotels, as one sports writer famously put it. Um, You know, there are those who say actually what Hank Aaron went through desegregating the South Atlantic League was way harder than what Jackie Robinson had to do, because even Hank Aaron's home fans were 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 tough on him. This the this right, black so, player. Right, Robinson. I mean, of course, Robinson. What Robinson went through is itself extraordinary. Yes. But there would have been ballparks in which he was met with at least relatively less vitriol. Well, than at least one of them, right? Uh, at least one of them. Then in other places. Yeah, so. yeah, and then you know, and then Hank Aaron plays with the Milwaukee Braves. He's probably thinking to himself, "Finally, I'm out of the the segregated South." And then what do the Milwaukee Braves do? They go to Atlanta in 1966. Yeah, when when segregation, Jonathan wasn't um, uh, Lester Maddox governor of, of yeah, yeah, yes he was that the, is correct at that time the the avowedly pro segregationist politician. I mean, poor Hank Aaron just keeps thinking he's using the game to get away from the Deep South. Pulled right back there. Is that what you meant by the context? Is that what you're? Yeah, yeah, that yes, yes, and and, and Matt, just the, all of this. All of this history and what Aaron went through is reminding me that, and, and this goes to your earlier question about what what contributes to the myth of Hank Aaron. The single word that is most often used to describe Aaron, Aaron which I heard over and over again the day he died, was 
dignity. I was going to say gentlemanly, but kind of the same thing, right? Yeah. 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 Dignity or gentleman that the, the, the unbelievable abuse he took as well as the impossible heights that he reached and all of it, he handled with just this magnanimity and calm and grace that I think in and of itself struck many people as almost superhuman. Yeah. That he could conduct himself that way given what he went through and what he accomplished. Well, so, okay, I think that's interesting because let me um, maybe problematize that a little bit. And, and so this is not a critique of Hank Aaron. I, th- there are no critiques of Hank Aaron coming today. <laughs> None whatsoever. Um, it, this is very much a cr- critique of America, I guess. I I was struck, right, by the outpouring of of, of love for, for Hank Aaron. And, and, and those... I was about to say that those people who wrote those letters, those people have gone away. But we just saw those people do things like invade the Capitol building a couple of weeks ago. So obviously those people were still there. But um, let's face something here. Hank Aaron is sort of universally loved, or at least in, in, in as much as any athlete, because he remained relatively quiet throughout all this. Right. He did. He was not yapping his mouth. And I don't mean that in a bad way, like Muhammad Ali, you know, talking constantly about the racism that he faced and and talking about foreign policy and the problems of American foreign policy. He wasn't raising a fist as he entered the batter's box. He wasn't taking a knee during the the national anthem. Um, And I I feel like this country John, what am I trying to say here? I, Hank Aaron deserves all of our accolades, but I think it's too bad that that, that that other people who who fight racism with dignity by raising a fist and taking a knee, that they're not treated with the same amount of respect that Hank Aaron is, you know, uh, at at his death. You, you know, Matt, what you're what what you're saying reminds me of actually is the first podcast you and I did together in 2016, which was right after Muhammad Ali died. Uh-huh. And, and one of the things we talked about was that when Ali was outspoken in the ways that you describe, he was arguably the most hated man in America. Right. And he had, as you just said about Aaron, become by the time of his death a universally beloved figure. And, 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 and the... What's in a way sickening about that, not that he would become universally universally beloved, but that he would do so after he literally lost the ability to speak. Yeah, and, and he was misremembered. People just didn't remember. Yeah. I mean, I, yes. You, 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 you so, should have so, loved so Ali. So insofar from- as there's this lionizing of Aaron for his character, while I think you and I both agree his character was incredibly admirable – it also derives from this place where we like our black athletes to behave a certain way. Yeah, when right. We, do, we love them, and when we don't, when they don't, we we really we really don't. Why doesn't Jim Brown have character? I mean, I'm saying some people will say that. I mean, people are going to misremember all these defiant black athletes when they die because that's what people do. But yeah, I, I'm just kind of struck by the, the, the overwhelming outpouring of, of, of adoration for, for Hank Aaron. And it, look, you know, you can, you can fight racism 
in a lot of ways, I, I guess one way is to hit 755 home runs, but you, you, you shouldn't have to do that to be considered a man and, and, and of character and dignity. And career, Aaron did have, you know, roles in executive positions. And, yeah. You know, he certainly, uh, I, I, it was, I think people would say he was something of a trailblazer in that regard. Um, again, I would say in his, in his typically quiet way. Right. Um, but all of that is to say that, his role in an influence on baseball, it didn't end when his playing career ended. Um, it, did, it did take on a, a, a different form. Yeah. Um, but he was never a rabble rouser. No, right? no. Right, right, right. Um, yeah. So I mean, thinking about Aaron's meaning to the city of Atlanta at this time, right, you know, trying to move beyond... Uh, you know, having the stigma of, of of the Jim Crow South. I was trying to think, is there another baseball player who means kind of more to one city then than Hank Aaron means to Atlanta? Because, yes, Jackie Robinson in Brooklyn, but in some ways that was just black America's story, right? It, it wasn't Brooklyn's story. I mean, of course, people of Brooklyn felt particular pride. Yeah. But but I, I, I'm thinking maybe Fernando in Los Angeles in the, the 1980s. The player that came to mind when you asked them out was just was Ted Williams in Boston. Um, not for not for the same kinds of reasons you're talking about, but just the inextricability of the player from the, the city. Yeah, I guess so. Right. I've been playing his, his whole career, though. Yeah, I was thinking Fernando and, and his meaning for, for, for Mexican-Americans and just Latin Americans much more uh-huh. generally uh-huh. in that in that city. But I, I think it's Hank. I, I, I don't think there's a connection that's that's any stronger. Um, well, and you I mean, speaking of legacy and influence on the city, you, you, you sent me an article a few days ago where uh, it was advocated, and not only in this article, that Atlanta, whose team name is the Braves, a problematic name that, you know, arguably should change anyway, that in honor of Aaron, the team should change its name to the Hammers, uh, because one of Aaron's nicknames was Hammer and Heck. Um, And that would be... I think that I think the author made a good case for that being a fitting tribute. I think that would be awesome. Um, you know, uh, first of all, come on, Braves fans! It is time to change the name, um, yeah. it, and it is time to change to stop with that ludicrous tomahawk chop. Uh, that is just beyond the pale. Um, and actually, I was thinking about it. Yeah, uh, for, all you got to do is a tom- tomahawk chop, but with a closed fist. And it's just pounding your hammer. So they wouldn't even have to change their... Okay, there you go. I like it. Yeah, I, I, I'm all for it. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I love this idea of, of correcting a, an, an unjust nickname, uh, honoring Hank Aaron. And yeah, and around, I guess that's what I'm talking about. What, what athlete, which, which baseball player means more to his city than Hank Aaron meant to the city? Oh, well, of, well, and I think if they do change the name to the Hammers, it will really solidify his unique place in that regard. Yeah. You know, I have long said that the new, we're going to, for, in basketball, that the New Orleans Pelicans, that they blew it with that name. They should have been the New Orleans Armstrongs. I am holding firm to that. Uh, that's a good one. Matt. Coolest Absolutely. name ever. Um, but yes. I will go for the Atlanta Hammers. That would, that would work as well. Hey, Jonathan, can we, um, kind of related to this, but we weren't planning on talking about this, but, Remember, you and I wanted to talk about Major League Baseball's decision to start considering Negro League stats, Major yes. League stats. Yes. Yes. So, 
Hank Aaron, um, you know, played in the Negro Leagues, but only for a month. I don't think he actually had any home runs when he played for the Indianapolis okay. Clowns. Okay. But so for those a little background, I guess it was in December, right? Yeah. Um, Major yeah. League Baseball said they were officially correcting a longtime oversight and recognizing those players who played in the Negro Leagues as major league caliber players. You know, they, they were going to start cons- in including Negro League stats in the official major league stats. What, what do you think about that? Well, so it's fascinating. And again, I think, Matt, this does go back to what we started talking about today, which is the sanctity of the home run record. Because even now with baseball not having the same place in American sports that it did when we were growing up, no other sports stats matter more to its fans and the legacy of the game than baseballs, right? Yes. I mean, people just do not pay attention to stats and other sports in the same way. And so after us decades and decades of these iconic numbers, again, that we all know, whether it was Ty Cobb's hits record before Pete Rose broke it or batting, you know, all-time batting average records. Lou Gehrig's consecutive games played. Yeah, yeah, yeah. games played, you know, consecutive games played. All of those numbers that I'm just noting this to say that now there's going to be a real disruption in that um, because of, at least in some of those numbers, because of the introduction of Negro League stats as officially recognized stats. So I think that by itself is interesting. Uh And I I just want to say... You know, the the best argument I've seen for why it's valid to include Negro League stats is there was a committee that was formed in 1969 to consider whether some very old leagues should be considered major leagues. Okay, And one of those that was recognized as a major league was the Union Association, which existed for one year in 1884. And like (laughs) some teams played seven or eight games and the league was a joke. But it is included in the Baseball Encyclopedia and official records books. So for people who argue that including the Negro Leagues somehow sullies or tarnishes or trivializes what's already trivia, baseball records, uh, the context, which is that the Negro Leagues could have and should have been acknowledged in 1969 uh, when baseball was acknowledging all these other old leagues, uh, I think is a good reason for uh, there's lots of good reasons for it right but just in historical baseball terms i think that's a good reason for their inclusion yeah if if the union association in 1884 gets to be part of major league baseball of course the negro leagues are part of you know and it it gets confusing because they 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 are not and never were part of capitalized trademark copyright major league baseball but right. you know, there's long been this idea that some leagues are lowercase major leagues, the best leagues. And without a doubt, the Negro Leagues in that regard were a major league. Not the major leagues, but a, a, a major league. You know, when, when Negro League players and, and major league players would get together in the offseason and play these exhibitions, the Negro League players beat them three out of every four. Um, well, right. A- and we also know, Matt, that when the the so-called color line was finally broken in 1947 and former Negro League players started entering the major leagues, 
Some of them, like Satchel Paige, who was in his 40s. I, I think he was 107, Jonathan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he might have, and he probably threw 107 miles an hour <laughs> yeah. at age 107. So Satchel Paige, who had been around a long, long time, was really good in the major leagues. Yeah, so he, if that was true in his 40s, yeah. imagine what it would have been like if he were playing major league baseball when he was 25. Yeah. And he's not the only example of that. No, that's right. Yeah, right. He and Larry Doby, right? Another Negro leaguer. They come yeah, in. And, 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 and Monty Irvin. And, yeah. And they, I mean, you know, Jackie was, what was he, 28 years old? When yeah, he started yeah, yeah, yeah 28 baseball. years old. It was, yeah. You know, he would have been, he would have, you know, Hank Aaron made the majors when he was 20. That's when great players usually arrive in the show. But Jonathan, so. then then help me figure this out. All right. So you're right. A, 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 a wrong has been addressed, acknowledged. First of all, Major League Baseball, it, it just killed me again. They, they they referred to it not as a wrong. They officially referred to it as an oversight, which <laughs> just, I mean, w- talk about once again being toned down. Well, it's like Bowie Coon had a previous engagement. Yeah, exactly. That is not an oversight. That was a vicious policy coming from the top of Major League Baseball since the 1890s. No black players. So to call it an oversight bothers me. But I there, there's something about it that just doesn't work for me. I I, I just okay. I yeah. just find something very distasteful and 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 arrogant with 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 Major League Baseball, excluding them from all these times, saying, now we're gonna do you a solid and you get to be part of us. And and I I'm not disappointed in the reactions of any of the not the Negro leaguers because they're all gone, really. But the 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 family members of Negro leaguers, they're all so happy about this. They're all so grateful, and and so maybe I should just shut up because they're happy and they're and they, and they think my my father would be so happy about it. But I'm surprised that someone isn't just one of these players. And, and I saw a few journalists do this and just say, you know what, you can just go to hell with this bone you're throwing at us, telling us yet now we can be considered a a major a major league. I get it. If the union association is in there, absolutely. But it just feels like there's almost this colonial mentality coming from major league baseball and saying, well, now in the summer of 2020 with the George Floyd killing and all this stuff, now we want you to be part of us. And, and it's, and it's bothering me. Right. So I guess the question I raise is Matt, and this is an actual question because I don't have a good answer to this. So many people, at least for PR purposes, if no other, have jumped on a particular bandwagon since George Floyd was killed last May. Yeah. And so it's a question, is it better that they do than don't? Yeah. Or does it so make a mockery in a way of what we've always been that it's just an insult? And and, I mean, I really am of two minds about it because... I can see making a case for either one. And and I guess when it comes to baseball and the Negro Leagues, I like the construct of colonialism. It it is like that in some ways. Um, But I guess, at least insofar as some some so-called purists were upset by it, uh, maybe that actually made me feel a little better about it. <laughs> yeah, right. I guess anyone who's actually upset by it 
or or, or is upset by the or by, upset for the wrong reason. Yeah, right. Oh, but the sanctity of the numbers. Oh, the numbers were never. There was never any sanctity of the numbers. I mean, right. e- every era is different. The ball is different. The ballparks are different. Right. The, the numbers just the the steroids are different. Yeah, the right. numbers. Should Babe Ruth have an asterisk because he never played against? Yeah. Some of the best competition. Yeah, so the numbers just don't make sense. But just as we were saying, people like to rewrite the past and, you know, oh, we always loved Ali. Every single one of us, we always loved Ali. I hate the idea of some kid opening up the baseball record book, whatever it's going to look like. I still don't understand how this is going to actually work. I, 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 don't, I don't either. Yeah, yeah. And, and then just kind of say, oh, Josh Gibson played in the major leagues. Like, no, Josh Gibson did not play in the major leagues. He was the victim of segregation. They didn't let him play in the major leagues. And I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm uneasy, you know, with, with people, people making those, coming to the wrong conclusions. But Matt, I have a picture in my head and I have no idea what's going to happen Except that I, I guess I have some faith, not in Rob Manford, the commissioner yeah. himself, but the people who are including the Society of American Baseball Research, which I know has actually been pushing for this change for a long time. And they've done a lot of the research on, acquire, on accumulating data from Negro League games, from box scores that were only recorded in black newspapers. And I mean, there's incredible, interesting historical research in all this. Yes. And I guess I have a picture in my head of, like, disclaimers. So if you go to baseballreference.com, when we were kids, we actually had this big 2,000-page baseball encyclopedia volume. Still have mine. Yeah. Yeah, which was, like, which was my Bible. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. Now, now, it, now it's all online, baseballreference.com. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, like, first of all, a Josh Gibson entry there. Man, on some level, that will be so cool and awesome. Yeah, but um, but, oh, but there, there's such but, a big but here, though. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, it's about so, but what I'm wondering is, will they just be very clear to include a disclaimer or yeah. a historical note? Well, I, so so Gibson at is the, the top gu- of the page, so yeah. that you know, so you have context, and you don't imagine somehow that oh yeah, he got to play major league baseball like everybody else. Did. Because people always read the footnotes. Is that what you're saying, Jonathan? Well, if you put it at the top of the page instead <laughs> oh. of the bottom, maybe that's a little better. <laughs> it's a head note. Yeah, got it. All right. Well, so the thing about the knee, and here, here's actually the other reason why I'm kind of uneasy with all this, yeah. is that I feel like the numbers that they're going to put in there, it's going to sell the Negro Leaguers short. Um, m- most of these guys, these these games they were playing, yeah, they were for these 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 black teams. But they weren't done in the context of the Negro Leagues, right? They were they were barnstorming games. And so my understanding about Josh Gibson, who some people say has hit the most home runs more than any professional baseball player, like unless you talk about the Japanese leagues, over 800 home runs. My understanding is that the, the, the historians who are looking at the actual Negro League games, yeah. Josh yeah. Gibson gets 238 home runs. Is that the actual number? I think okay. so. That's that. That's what I've seen. I haven't seen that yet. Okay. And, and so that doesn't seem right. So, like you're in here, but you're only partly in here. Um, right. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. Under, I really don't understand how the numbers are. are right. So right. So then, then what I'm calling a head note would have to be a whole <laughs> historical exegesis to contextualize his baseball stats, which then might defeat the purpose of, <laughs> of just presenting them as if they're just baseball numbers that we should be referring to. Yeah, no, I think it's fascinating. Um, 
And Jonathan, I guess talking about the sanctity of the numbers, this takes us to the other thing that we wanted to talk about today, which is the the uh, 2021 Hall of Fame results, Baseball Hall of Fame results were just released last week. And who got in? Uh, nobody. Nobody got in. Yeah, I guess only the second. The first time since 2013, I think. Okay, so and so second time ever that 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 no one got in. I think there have been a handful of oh. other times. I don't think it's the second time ever, but I'm I'm not positive. Okay, so this was interesting. Um, it, it's rare for sure. Yeah. Um, okay, let me. Here's my 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 header note to this whole discussion, okay. and, and I guess what I first should, should say is I'm fascinated in, in the Hall of Fame, and as a kid, I love the Hall of Fame. But the more I learn about the Hall of Fame, the Hall of Fame is so stupid. <laughs> it's <laughs> it, it is so ridiculous. It is um, a, a a private organization. You know, it's not actually run by Major League Baseball. Created in the 1930s to get tourists to come to Cooperstown because the Great depression had cut into tourism. It is set in this city that lies about being the birthplace of baseball. Baseball was not invented in Cooperstown, but they will tell you that it was in in Cooperstown. It's this random private organization where sports writers <laughs> get to decide who becomes immortal. Um, and I, I and I, I think this year, as maybe maybe as as much as any year, is just sort of exposing all of the problems and the hypocrisies with the way that the Hall of Fame works. All right, so I wanted to say that I got that off my chest. Okay, I'll let you say something now. Well, uh, I, right. So, and Matt, I mean, this is really speaking to as you as you mentioned a moment ago how much the Hall of Fame mattered to you as a kid. I'm sure you went to visit the Hall of Fame. I've been there once. Yeah. I went to visit in 1977. I loved it. I thought it was a magical place. And the stature of achieving, reaching the Hall of Fame is, you know, it, it, it is absolutely the capstone of only the greatest careers, mostly, in baseball history. And so I guess I still regard it with some esteem because of that. Uh, even if organizationally it's screwed up in the ways that you described. Well, but, um, okay. Yeah, but but so, right, so this year nobody got elected. Just a very quick note on how this works is every year there's a bunch of players who are Hall of Fame eligible. They've been retired for five years uh, with some very few exceptions. Right. And the Baseball Writers Association of America, some several hundred of those members have a vote and they can list 10 people, up to 10 people on their ballot. And you have to be, you have to appear on the ballot of at least 75% of the people who vote for the Hall of Fame. Right. And so this year, unusually, uh, nobody got 75% of the vote. Right, Kurt Schilling got seventy-one percent. Right, and he—I think that was—he had the highest total. Yes, yeah, he had the highest. Uh, Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens both clocking in at about sixty-two percent. I mean, those guys are just going to be tied to the hip when it comes to Hall of Fame voting. I don't know how there's any difference between those guys. Well, and and, and just a quick comment: if you look at their numbers. Both Bonds and Clemens are 
among the very greatest players of all time. Oh, arguably the greatest hitter and the greatest pitcher of all time. I mean, one could make that argument. You could make a case for both of them as number one, as you just said, Matt, hitter and pitcher. And they are not going to get in because enough Hall of Fame voters believe that their steroid use disqualifies them. Yeah, and you and I, we have talked about this. I'm actually more okay... If I'm voting, Bonds and Clemens are in. Bonds and Clemens, they are in because they were going to go in before they started doing steroids. And you're not necessarily a villain in my mind if you took steroids during the steroid era. This was an era that was... And we have no idea how many players who are in use them. Yeah, and the guys they face. Arbitrary is this and all that. Major League Baseball turned a blind eye. All that said, I think you can make a case for not putting Bonds and Clemens in. Um, I completely agree. Because yes. they, they did steroids. I think that's a reasonable argument. Yes. The, the, the guy that I'm interested in is the guy who came closest, Kurt Schilling. And, and, and Kurt Schilling has some good numbers, right? He's, he's got over 3,000 strikeouts. He doesn't have an astronomical number of wins. He's in the very low 200s. Right. But a fantastic postseason pitcher with some legendary moments. You know, what he did with the Diamondbacks and then what he did with the Red Sox with the Bloody Sox, which I still think he faked that whole thing, but whatever. Um, (laughs) It looked real. And and Matt, for the wonky stat types, his numbers like wins above replacement, uh, which stat types are really into, actually look even better than his raw numbers. Okay. So, so that he, so there's a very solid, let's call it, case on the merits for him being in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, and in fact, probably should be just on the numbers based on some of the other guys who get in. Correct. The problem with Kurt Schilling is that he is a douchebag among douchebags. He is just a right-wing asshole. Um, he is... A, a a a virulent homophobic. He is, you know, aligning him. And I, I guess what his big mistake was was aligning he, himself. He, he compares he compares Muslims to Nazis. Yeah, yeah. I guess I mean, he has many mistakes. When we say right wing, we're not just saying he's. It's fine if he's conservative. Right. We're talking much farther out than that. Yeah, yeah, right. He, he wears Trump shirts. Mariano Rivera supported Trump. Mariano Rivera got in with what percentage of the vote? The first one ever to receive 100% of the vote. 100%. So just being a Trump supporter, like he thinks it does, does not exclude you from, from getting Clearly in. Clearly not. But yes. he, you know, celebrated the incursion in Washington, D.C. Yeah, he's just, a, you name an issue, he is just loudly on the wrong side. And, so- yeah, and, and I will, I'll just add, Matt, it's not just that his views are obnoxious to many. It's that he is a willfully antagonistic guy who yeah. has repeatedly attacked people on social media, gone after sports writers. He just It's part of his persona, which I think people appreciated during his playing career, um, but in this, that he was kind of a bulldog. But, it, but now... 
It's just sheer belligerence. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he right. He, and, and, and he's become detested as a result. Yeah, right. He's called Adam Jones a liar for saying that there were racial slurs directed at him at Fenway. He collects Nazi memorabilia. Yeah, the guy is just a total asshole. Yeah. That said, so what? Right. That's my that's my thesis. So what? What do you think? I mean, I. <laughs> you know what is going. If one of your students, you make them write a thesis statement in their paper and they say, so what? How, how would... <laughs> well, you need a little evidence. And so <laughs> okay. the the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame has this character clause, which I, I know this is not online. You can't see me. I'm rolling my eyes as I say character clause. Um, and again... I rolled my eyes when people use the character clause with, with, with Bonds and Clemens, but actually I'm rethinking that. You, once again, you can make the argument that what they did on the field gets them excluded from, from, from the Hall of Fame. But Kennesaw Mountain Landis, who is the reason why there weren't black baseball players for you know 30 years uh, in Major League Baseball, um, Rogers Hornsby, a member of the Ku Klux Klan, Ty Cobb, who attacked, you know, there's evidence of him attacking African-Americans. Um, oh, I mean, just kind of keep up. Babe Ruth, who, if he were under the spotlight today, would be a ser- serial philanderer, you know, and there'd be stories written about him all the time. Um, and, and, then there, and then there are players in the Hall of Fame who, for example, have been ab- abusive to women and have engaged in other kinds of transgressions that even if you argue were accepted or just not as uh, universally condemned then as they would be now in 2021, right? We have a different set of criteria. Yeah, Omar Vizquel, who I actually, I wouldn't put in the Hall of Fame based on his his numbers, uh-huh. but, but seems to have been excluded, according to some sports writers, because of accusations that came out last year about a um, about violence against his wife, um, I I kind of guess like that that Negro League argument we were having. I know I came out guns kind of guns blazing. I'm torn on this one. I don't, but I, I don't think Schilling but, is, is is necessarily wrong when he says this isn't fair. Right, and and, and again, just to be clear, your point is that if all these other people are in, it's clear that the character clause is not something that people have typically taken seriously. Yeah, no, it doesn't exist. I don't really like the idea of sports writers being the the, the moral arbiters here. I right. uh, know enough about uh, men who write about sports to think that that's hilarious. Um, you know what it kind of reminds me of? And I've already forgotten this, this swimmer's name. What was the guy's name who invaded the Capitol and it turned out he was a, a, a multi, you know, won multiple medals for the U.S. swim team? Um, I, I'm, I'm forgetting his name. All right. Name. Good for us. His, 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 his moment <laughs> of fame has, has come and gone. But I was struck by a number of like serious sports people, guys like Keith Olbermann. I guess he's a serious sports person saying the United States OPC needs to take away his medal. And I'm just thinking... Well, no, okay, what needs to happen is this guy needs to go to jail. But why would we take away his medal? You know, did he win the race? I believe he did. He gets to keep his gold medal. This notion of not letting people into Hall of Fames or taking away their awards, you know, because of something that they've done after their playing career, that doesn't sit right with me. 
So to, to that point, Matt, so I'm going to one point in favor of your argument, and then I'm going to uh, offer one. And then you're going to tear it to shreds. Yeah. <laughs> so I saw one baseball writer who has a who has a Hall of Fame vote, who voted for Schilling, and I think also voted for Clemens and Bonds, say, you should not leave it to the writers to be arbiters of character. Right. That is up to Major League Baseball. If you don't think somebody has the character, don't put them on the ballot. Right. And this is what, the, the, right, they, they created that rule for Pete Rose, right? I mean, if you're... Right. If That's you're, right. If and you're, so if if you're, you're on, on the band, the ballot, for, yeah. then we are just voting for you as baseball writers based on your performance. Right. And I, I think that that is, that is a, that is, I do think that's a reasonable position, or at least it's reasonable to say the problem doesn't rest with the baseball writers. And in some ways, I think this goes back to your first point, Matt, it rests with what is the meaning of the Hall of Fame anyway? Right. Other than as a, promotional tool and tourist attraction. Right. So that's on one side. On the other side, there's a, there's a great um, baseball a sports journalist, baseball writer, Red Sox part, podcaster. Her name is Gabrielle Starr. And she has been adamant on Twitter and, and, and on her blog and in the venues where, where you can hear her, uh, adamant that Schilling should not be allowed in the Hall of Fame. Um, and her argument is that, in part, the fact that all of these reprehensible characters got in in the past does not mean that in 2021 yeah. we are required to apply the same standards that existed when those other people got into the Hall of Fame. And that Schilling is and, – and by the way, she doesn't just make this argument about Schilling. She makes this argument about – people who are, you know, known abusers of women, that it is important, in fact, for baseball to make a clear statement that the Hall of Fame is the recognition Hmm. that makes you forever, and I'm using her words, a baseball immortal. Immortal, yep. And, and, And if that is true, that is the ultimate unrescindable recognition, then it should be reserved for people who aren't, in fact, an embarrassment in terms of how they've conducted their lives. There so is, that, 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 that's her case. No, it's a great case. I, I, I'm finding myself persuaded. I mean, and look, there is no doubt that Major League Baseball and the Hall of Fame are breathing a sigh of relief that they don't have to listen to Kurt Schilling give a speech next year. I mean, could you imagine what, no, what, I think somebody would have had to, act, quote unquote, accidentally cut off his mic like, after he thanked his mother and his father, basically. Yeah, they don't want that. There is no way they 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 want that. Um, yeah. And, you know, I I, I laugh at, 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 well, I laugh at both sides. Kurt Schilling is now saying, well, I don't want to be, you know, he has one more year of eligibility, technically, right? And right. He, he doesn't want to be on the ballot next year because like Bonds and Clemens, he's not going to be elected. He says it's a sham. So he's telling, like Marvin Miller did, let's remind people, Marvin Miller said, I don't want to be elected into the Hall of Fame either because the thing is a sham. Um, And I I love the Hall of Fame's response to Kurt Schilling saying he wants to be off the the ballot. They say, well, we we can't do that because that's against the rules. 
<laughs> so what rules? Whose rules? They're, they're your rules. What are you talking about? The Hall of Fame just doesn't make any sense. Oh, and what Schilling has said is there is this, I think they have a new name for it, but it was always called the Veterans Committee. Right. Yeah. Which is like an even more ridiculous ad hoc. It's like 15 long retired ex-baseball players get in a room and apparently according to no criteria whatsoever decide that like their friends deserve to get in or I think <laughs> I mean, it's I'm, yeah I'm mocking the process a little bit but but showing uh, I think has said he would he would it only matters to him if that committee lets him in because those are the ball players those are the ball players I think it only just matters if if the guys in the veterans committee you know owe the other guys money from golfing and 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 then you get in I'm pretty sure you know Jonathan just to to, to go back to what we originally started talking about though I mean kind of tying this together this is why Major League Baseball loves Hank Aaron so much there is there he is the anti-Kurt Schilling you know he is his numbers are undeniable. His character is undeniable. Um, and once again, yeah, they don't want they don't want this guy getting up there and making a speech. I don't think they want Bonds and Clemens up there make making a speech or 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 Pete Rose, right? Who's actually systematically excluded because of his relationship from well. From, from and baseball. Matt, correct me if I'm wrong. When Bonds broke uh, Aaron's record, when he hit number seven fifty six, yeah. Uh, in what was it, 2007? Did he did did Bud Selig attend? Was he attending his games? Mm, good question. Because, because my memory is that I don't he think so. Wasn't. Yeah, I don't think he was, and it, neither was Hank Aaron. Actually, and neither was Hank Aaron, and so Major League Baseball really wanted not to be associated with Bonds' assault on Aaron's record because of Bonds by then, you know long alleged yeah. steroid use. Right. And Selig also had this old personal connection to Aaron. Right. You know, the Milwaukee Brewers, which was the last team that Hank Aaron played for in the mid-1970s. Aaron was a close personal friend, and he considered Aaron the best possible representation of the sport uh, and wished, certainly would have wished that he could have barred Bonds from playing long enough to break that record. Yeah, absolutely. So just to your point about Aaron as, from the point of view, view, of, view of MLB, the ideal exemplar for the sport. I think so. I think so. Well, I'm looking forward to Atlanta changing their name to the Hammers. I will buy an Atlanta Hammers hat and, and jersey. I'm all uh, in. No, no question. That'll be some great memorabilia. Yeah. yeah. Man, this was fun, Jonathan. Yeah, absolutely. Um you want this to do- has been another, we'll just wrap up. This has been another episode of Agony of Defeat. Uh, you can find this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, we're going to be on Spotify very soon. Oh, okay, great. Um, we're going to take Spotify by storm. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, Matt. That was fun, man. Let's do it again yeah. soon. Talk to you soon.